0: Revolution.
1: Welcome to Truth Revolution. I am Pastor Jeff from Revolution Church. Normally, Pastor Dave is here as well. He's doing the introduction, but Dave is sick today. And so uh, hopefully he'll get better. If not, I'll be doing the funeral service next week sometime. But we're going to assume he's going to get better. (laughs) And uh, it's just a cold. But today we got a special guest on. Short notice even. Dr. Jeff Zwirink is a research scholar from Reasons to Believe. He earned a Ph.D. in astrophysics from Iowa State University. His writing and speaking encouraged people to consider the connection between Scripture's truth and scientific evidence. He is the author of Is Life Out There? Who's Afraid of the Multiverse? Which we've had him on the show for that before. And Escaping the Beginning. And he co-authored the Impact Event series. Jeff is also a project scientist at UCLA. Jeff, thanks for joining us again.
0: Hi, right, Jeff. Yeah, it's good to be here. Looking forward to our conversation today.
1: Yeah. You know, the yeah. last time we had you on, it was about the multiverse and you blew our minds. It was an excellent show. So today we're actually talking about a subject that I have been interested in for a long time. Uh, you could call this, it has a little bit to do with the multiverse. It has a little bit to do with the Big Bang. It has a lot to do with the beginning of the universe and the origins of matter and stuff and us. Uh, you wrote a book called Escaping the Beginning, and the big question is, was there a beginning to the universe? How do we know there was a beginning to the universe? Would you just give us maybe the you know 30-second introduction to your book? Tell us what it's about.
0: So it really is dealing with that question, is there a beginning to the universe? And a lot of times the things that we've used to argue for that were anchored in the research back in the 1960s and 70s. And so this book is uh, motivated by a question I had from a skeptic, kind of brings that argument up to date to today, where now we're dealing with the multiverse and quantum gravity and asking the question, is there a beginning? And my answer is, yeah, the universe seems to keep pushing us towards models where there's a beginning.
1: Okay, yeah, I was doing some research on this before and uh, came across a quote from Robert Jastrow, who is an astrophysicist astrophysicist at NASA's Goddard Institute for Space Studies. Now, he said this, he said, Now we see how the astronomical evidence supports the biblical view of the origin of the world. The essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are the same. Consider the enormousness of the problem. Science has proved that the universe exploded into being at a certain moment. It asks what's caused produced this effect, who or what put the matter and energy into the universe, and science cannot answer these questions. I always find that fascinating because he talked about the fact that science proved there was a beginning, was a problem for scientists because it was such a theological implication, right? People are like, wow, if there's a beginning, there must have been someone who, who caused the beginning. Something must have caused the beginning. Is that still the case? Is that still the way people think about it?
0: You know, it, it is really, I think, one of the central issues there that, um, you know, when when we talk about our universe and we want to explain how it is, there's this desire, and some of it is motivated, well motivated by physics, and some of it is a theological motivation of <clears throat> wanting the universe to be there forever. And from a physics perspective, there's a nice symmetry in that. And you know, you say, <laughs> yeah. well, why is symmetry so important? Well, symmetry, if you wanna talk about why we have conservation of energy or conservation of momentum, it's because of symmetry. And so if there's a beginning, that would violate the symmetry. And so that's, that's mm-hmm. kind of the physics reason why we want it. but. Most of the discussion is around the theological because if there's a beginning, now the question is what caused the beginning, what's a, what's beyond the universe that's responsible and, and that obviously has theological implications. And you know I, the when I look at what's going on over the 20th and 21st century, uh, you know it really does look like there's a beginning to our universe and that has neat theological implications but very readily align with the way the Bible describes the universe in which we live.
1: Yeah. And actually, there's an argument called the Kalam Cosmological Argument that you're referring to right now, uh, popularized by one of my favorite philosophers during this century. Uh, But it's been around for a long time, this idea. It basically says, whatever has a beginning to its existence must have a cause. And I think most people would agree with that. You know, uh, whatever has a beginning has to have a cause. So, if you have a beginning to your existence, what caused you? Well, your parents caused you. <laughs> you know, my Ford truck was caused by the Ford factory, right? There, If it had a beginning, something caused it to exist. And then we say the universe had a beginning to its existence, so it must have had a cause. Now, there are some people who are kind of pushing back on that now. There's other ways to look at this than saying the universe had a beginning. Is that is that accurate?
0: It is, and there's actually, people are pushing it both sides of that. So, um you know there's uh you know in the 60s and 70s which is you know kind of what led to jastro's comment there mm-hmm. um there were these singularity theorems that were developed where basically people said all right you know if general relativity describes the dynamics of the universe and energy behaves a certain way uh we know that the universe is expanding steady state models don't work oscillating models seem to not work are you forced to the conclusion of a beginning? And what Hawking and Penrose were able to show was that uh, if you ran time backwards, eventually you ran into the singularity where the laws of physics broke down, and that was, that, that looks a lot like a beginning. And so that's kind of the context of what was being described there, and I think the, the background of Jastrow's comment. Well, so now, you know, there's, that was 1960s, early 70s. We're almost 50 years later, and so the question is, as we've grown uh, gotten a deeper understanding of how the universe works, and we've gotten inflations thrown in there, and there's multiverse ideas and uh, you know, quantum gravity ideas, and we can flush those out through the show if you want. Yeah. There, there's kind of these two, two ways that push back one at each of those two premises. One is, did the universe begin to exist? And so there's this idea that quantum gravity models, uh, you know, what you end up, instead of having a singularity where the laws of physics break down, you actually just have this period of maximum compressibility, but time from past eternity to today is, is entirely populated, and so there's no beginning, if you will. So that's mm-hmm. one approach to uh, address, or you know, kind of getting around that cosmological kalama- argument. The other is to say, you know what, you can have a beginning, but you don't need anything to cause the beginning. And so this is kind of what Hawking and Krauss are doing is saying, yeah, there really is a beginning to the universe, but the universe, given that the laws of physics exist, the universe just pops into existence. You don't need a cause. You don't need a God to do it. Mm -hmm. And so both of those premises, that things that began to exist need a cause, and uh, that uh, the universe began to exist, both of those are getting pushback from science that has developed in the last 50 years
1: yeah now the the thing that i don't know very much about comparatively to the other stuff is this idea that it could jump into existence without a beginning and it, does this have to do with some of those ideas about hey you know subatomic particles come in and out of existence without cause
0: it, it really does and so uh you know it Give you a little bit of a description. We got to get into a little bit of the physics to understand the weight of it. Okay. Uh, but uh, at at, their, at its nature, scientists think the universe is fundamentally a quantum universe, and so part of the implications of that is that uh, in if you were to take a box and you could get rid of every atom, every electron, every particle that we know of, get every particle out of that box, and then you put two plates in there, uh, what you can show is that in that in the vacuum where there's nothing no particles in there the vacuum will actually quantum mechanics will have particles fluctuate into and out of existence and there's there's a measurable effect on that because those plates uh if as you make the region in the plates small enough those plates will actually be drawn together because the amount of stuff popping into and out of existence inside the plates is less than what's outside, and so there's a pressure on it. So this is a measurable effect that we have that is tied to the way quantum mechanics works. And so it's this idea that even in this, where there's no matter there, the the fabric of space will cause particles to come into and out of existence. So that's the fundamental physics you need to recognize. So now as we look at our universe, we run backwards in time, you go back and galaxies, you know, they, they formed, they'll dissolve, you get matter and energy, things get really hot, you go through this epoch of inflation, and eventually you get to even the stuff that causes inflation, that stuff will fluctuate into existence out of this quantum vacuum. Now, this quantum vacuum. Before inflation or this false vacuum, it doesn't have any space, doesn't have any time, no matter, no energy. This is what Lawrence Krauss will call nothing, if you will.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This will, you know, the, the, the thing that causes inflation will fluctuate into existence and produce a universe. And so this is the idea he's putting forth. And from a, <clears throat> what I would say is from a scientific perspective, it's a plausible idea but we really don't have data to know whether that's the right way or wrong way of looking at things. You know, it's just beyond what we're ab- what we're able to test. Mm. So I can't rule it out and say no it doesn't work, but here you have this idea where our universe has a beginning with presumably no cause if you will. That's that's the argument there. Sure. Uh, when you look a little more closely, you see that breaks down, but that's basically the argument being put forth.
1: So when those things pop in and out of existence, <clears throat> how do they know that this is actually a, a new thing popping into existence, and not just something that's coming from somewhere else. Like it wasn't able to get in the box somehow.
0: No, fair, fair enough. So with so so in the box, we can just measure it because we know there's not something else. It's just a nature of quantum. When you apply quantum mechanics, this is the nature of the way things work. And, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I could go into all the physics, but if it doesn't work that way. Our explanations for the forces don't work. And there's all okay. sorts of experimental evidence that says, yeah, this is a good way to look at things.
1: But it's not just experimental, you know, with a box. It's also, I would assume, a mathematical.
0: Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's not just, okay, we've made these measurements. But the measurements align with what we know from our cal- quantum mechanical calculations. Gotcha.
1: Does that assume, though, that stuff existed before you know i mean we have we have these laws of physics these quantum particles popping in and out of existence but there's no way to know if that would happen when there is absolutely no stuff when there is no fabric of space is there
0: right and so so if when we talk about the box, you know, where we've got these two plates in there, that's something we can measure well, verified experimentally. Uh, in essence, the quantum fluctuations are occurring in the va- the fabric of space time, if you mm-hmm. will. And so now, what Krauss in particular is arguing is that as you go back, you eventually have this inflation. You've got false vacuum dries inflation, but you go back to where you know before that. Um, the false vacuum, once this stuff fluctuates into existence, it will make a universe, that's a non-controversial idea. But he's saying that prior to that, and what do you mean, because you're not no space, time, matter, and energy prior to that, so if there's no time, how do you talk about prior, that's an interesting question. But with no space, no time, no matter, no energy, universes will pop into existence. And so, again, the, the measure in a box, that's well-established experimentally. Mm-hmm. Krauss is extrapolating that idea to the to this quantum vacuum, if you will, and saying this is the way it works. Yeah. And, and that's why I say it's reasonable, but it may not be right. And so we don't have any way to test this. This could be wrong.
1: Right, because you can but, test it in a box, but you can't test it when there is no box.
0: Exactly. No, that's a good point. Um, and so, you know, so I was either left with, the, I, I was kind of, I recognized the, the reasonableness of it, even though I can't test it, and I, and, I'm, and I asked myself the question, am I just left saying that? Well, okay, I, I can't really comment on that. And it got me thinking, well, maybe I can say more about this because, you know, let's, let's just say this is – and this this idea isn't original with Krauss. It's actually uh, a model de- developed by Alex Vilenkin, and I, that's important because I want to come back to that in a okay. few minutes. But really the question now is, okay, so we've got this universe that pops into existence, and all we need are these, are these quantum – this quantum gravity, these laws of physics, if you will. What is that actually saying? So Krauss is saying, oh we found a universe where there's no God and a universe pops into existence. Mm-hmm. But if you notice there, it's that given the laws of physics, so you've got to have the laws of physics there. <laughs> so this isn't the philosophical nothing yeah you know and, and yeah. you know Krauss and the philosophers have had a big argument about that. but this isn't the philosophical nothing. But if you now start asking me the question, what is the nature of these laws of physics? Well, one, they have to exist, independent of everything else. So they're not bound by space, time, matter, and energy. They have to exist outside of that. <laughs> and they just have to effectively always be there. Yeah. You know, so you've got kind of this self-existent laws of physics, if you will.
1: Without a universe.
0: Exactly. Now, the laws of physics also, instead of being descriptive, which is the way phys- scientists have looked at the laws of physics, they describe the stuff that exists. The laws of physics must now be prescriptive. They mm-hmm. actually cause things to happen. So the laws of physics aren't describing why things fluctuate in the box. They're now saying that given the laws of physics, things will fluctuate into existence. Huh. So they're prescriptive. Yeah. So the, so you've got a prescriptive or causative, self-existent, this is starting to sound like God, if you it will. It
1: is sounding like God. Either that yeah. or it's sounding like science fiction is gonna have a problem because every universe is gonna have the, all the same laws. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well and, and you know that so then well that, that's a bigger question for the multiverse but you know what I thought I just thought that was interesting is that you know Krauss is making this argument that given the laws of physics we get a universe and don't need god Mm-mm. but the the laws of physics that he's talking about there are starting to sound a lot like god
1: sure what is it that is powerful enough to cause the universe to come into existence, controls the rules of what comes into existence, and exists before what comes into existence.
0: Exactly. 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 Yes. And, and, you know, it's further in there. And, you know, again, we're dealing with the what's reasonable and what might be. We we have to remember that we have no way to test any of this to know Mm -hmm. which is the right way to look at it or not.
1: Which, by the way, just on a side note, is why philosophy is important, because Science, even by virtue of trying to give answers, runs into philosophical questions all the time. You know, just for it, it,
0: it, that's a very powerful point, and I can't. I, I feel obligated to note that both Krauss and Hawking, who argue for these kinds of models, um, spend or Hawking in the first. I think the first sentence of his book is philosophy is dead and Hawking <laughs> or Krauss spends at least a chapter talking about how philosophy and theology are largely worthless. Interesting, You know, so it's kind of ironic given that they're making a whole bunch of philosophical and, and ultimately theological statements, you know? So I think, you know, it, it's, it's a naive way of looking at it to say that we don't need philosophy and or theology.
1: Super naive. I mean, especially, you know, when, it, when I look at the co- Kalam cosmological argument, I'm, I'm more of a philosopher than a scientist, and when I look at that, I go, you know, something can't exist forever uh, for me to get to the point that I exist right now. You know, if something were to exist forever— uh, it would have taken an infinite amount of time to even get to this point where we exist. But that's that—that's not what we're talking about today.
0: <laughs> so, Well, that would be a fun fun discussion to have because I like talking, you know, when you talk about infinites and the way they behave, I think there's some interesting stuff to discuss there where I actually kind of quibble a little bit with some of the philosophers or at least have some questions that I would love to dialogue with some philosophers about. Okay,
1: so. well, we should, yeah, we should talk some time about that or maybe we got time when we get through some of your material, maybe we can even jump on that today. So,
0: uh, okay. So, so, so I wanted to go back and just make another comment in here. And then yeah. if I could tie it over to Valenkin in a second, yeah. is that, you know, so there, there's, there's another assumption in there is that the matter give rise, gives rise to mind. And so we, we, are conscious, we're thinking about the universe to our knowledge, the universe has no thoughts of us, if we will. Mm-hmm. And so even in Krauss's assertion, he's making an assertion that our consciousness just arises from the material. And there are philosophers and and uh, who are skeptical of that. Even philosophers who are agnostic or atheists who are skeptical of that idea. And you know, I'll just point one out. And he's I don't know how representative he is, but uh, you know Thomas Nagel is a very mm-hmm. eminent philosopher uh, who's a, a skeptical of the evolutionary paradigm for explaining consciousness. Ultimately, ends up in a position where uh, of panpsychism, where to get consciousness, you have to start with consciousness. Yeah. And so if that idea is right, now. We've got these 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 quantum gravity, if you will, this quantum vacuum must be self-existent, causative, and conscious. You know, again, you, Krauss thinks he's getting away from God, but ultimately, I think he's describing something from a minimal characteristics has God, and I think the more we learn, the more we're going to have to put on that quantum vacuum to where it will be indistinguishable from God.
1: Absolutely, uh, you know, just kind of on a side note is is that when people come up nowadays with this uh, idea of a digital simulation, that our universe is just a a computer program that's been running. You know, uh, I think Elon Musk was the most famous guy who recently said it. You know, he's not a philosopher or anything, but he just kind of put the idea out there. And I go, man, some of these guys, they're running into the same problem you're talking about because they're saying the universe is so complex, so well designed, that it had to have been put together by a mind so we must live in a computer-simulated program? Like, really? That's the conclusion you came to? And you to avoid the conclusion
0: of God? Well, yeah. And I, there's part of me that finds it interesting that they're willing, Yeah, you know, they're recognizing there's something far beyond us that's willing. They're just not willing to call it God. And, yeah. you know, what, what I found interesting, so, you know, I've been talking about how Krauss is making this argument. Ultimately, the model he's articulating was originally developed by Alex Vilenkin. And, you know, I I really, really enjoy reading Alex Vilenkin. you know, because he's got I think he's a skeptic or an agnostic, but he's not. It's like it doesn't come into his science as far as I can tell. He doesn't really have an axe to grind. He's just willing to put things out there. And uh, he's got a book called Many Worlds in One where he's articulating this model to a more lay audience. And there was a very interesting uh, conclusion to the chapter that I saw in there because he was talking about. You know, when I first published the model, I, I went and I gathered all the references and I thought I got all the scientific references of, you know, it's, it's this idea that you you get back and you have a beginning where time becomes space-like and you have an uncaused beginning, if you will. And he was, you know, he was describing that and saying, oh, I got all the references together and somebody sa- you know pointed out that I missed a reference. And the reference that he missed was to Augustine. And he kind of talks about what Augustine thought. And then he said, Yeah, this is what I'm talking about here. You know, and, really? and I couldn't help but miss or recognize the parallel that you know here's Augustine looking at scripture saying, How do we think about the beginning in terms of what the Bible reveals about who God is? And Vilenkin saying, Yeah, this is what I'm talking about here. That to me just confirms that, yeah, what we find in Christian theology and what we find in science align very, very well. Even though scientists, some scientists will will take it the wrong way and say, "Oh, this gets rid of God."
1: Yeah, absolutely. Why do you think it's the case that so many of the well-known scientists are actually looking for a way around saying God is the cause?
0: You know, I, 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 there, there's a a lot of that is kind of trying to attribute motives or what is in there, and I'm I'm always a little reticent to attribute motives unless sure. somebody's told me. I do know this. There's a lot of scientists, you know, I mean, Vilenkin was pretty bold and just straightforward about it. I think he's pretty honest there. I mean, nobody disputes that Krauss has an agenda that he's trying to drive. Um, You know, he says he's got an agenda to drive. And so I think there's some that people want to avoid because there's theological implications. Um, I think part of why some of the well-knownness is that people who make that will, will have an audience. There's people who want to hear that, you know, yeah, I don't think that's a controversial statement, and so some of some of what makes people well-known, I mean, I'm not maligning, I think Krauss has done some very good scientific work, but you can argue a lot of his popularity is related to how well he communicates outside of the scientific community. And so mm-hmm. there, I think there's a lot of things at play there, clearly theology plays into that. Some of this is just people are genuinely interested in what the science has to say, and again, from a physics perspective. You have more symmetry if there's no beginning. And so there's even a physics reason to believe that, uh, you know, which looking strictly from that is there, uh, you know, I'm just, I think, theologically, you know, I'm informed by my Christianity, I think the beginning is going to have a better explanation as for what's the proper explanation for the way things really are.
1: Yeah. Why do you, you know, I'm in a lot of these Christian groups, and every once in a while I'll talk about the beginning of the universe, the Big Bang, and I'll get a lot of pushback from even Christians saying, oh, you're an evolutionist. Well, you're a, uh, What's what are some people missing, you think, that would cause Christians to push back so hard against the idea of a big bang? Because to me, when I see that, I go, yeah, that's biblical. I mean, that's right there. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I do think, you know, and, and again, this is not controversial. There is a very vocal segment of the Christian church or Christians who have, been very vocal about saying oh big bang that's just secular scientists that's man reading their ideas into scripture Uh, we're going to stand on God's word and so it's set up as though you either have to believe the Bible or believe the scientists and if you're believing the scientists you're inserting that into God's word (laughs) and you know if you don't have training to be able to see what the science has to say and, and have not studied a little bit more in depth of what the Bible has to say it seems like you're making this choice between the Bible or man and what Christian wouldn't choose what the Bible has to say? I mean, that that, yeah. that seems a pretty straightforward <laughs> choice. Um, but there, there, you know, again, I think that's a mischaracterization of what's out there because as you read through the Bible, the way it describes the universe is that there's a constancy to it in the way it behaves. Hmm. The day and night, and the the sun, moon, and stars, and the seasons—they all behave reliably. Ultimately, because of God's character, the reliability of creation is anchored in God's character. Mm -hmm. Well, that reliability in terms of a scientific discussion would flow out in terms of the laws of physics. We expect to see a very reliably orderly creation. Um, The laws of physics will be constant, if you will. Incidentally, that's the foundational philosophical premise that led Einstein to develop his theory of general relativity, that the laws of physics are constant. Um, We find that the universe is dynamic. You know, even in the Bible, it talks about how God's stretching out the heavens, that it's not just poof and it's there, but there's a dynamic nature to creation. Well, we find an expanding universe. We find in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. This idea of there being a beginning to creation, it flows throughout Scripture. Creation ex nihilo. Well, that also finds good scientific support. and, And that's really Big Bang cosmology. you got a beginning. Of an expanding universe governed by constant laws of physics that ultimately result in uh, the universe decaying. Yeah, that's what the Bible describes. That's what cre- that's what we find in Big Bang cosmology, and that's the description we find in the Bible. So, exactly. uh, you know, I think part of why you get that pushback in the Christian community is that uh, there's some very vocal segments of the church that say you're making this choice between God and fallen man, and then it's really a false dichotomy.
1: Yeah. And for any listeners who didn't catch it, he said, ex nihilo, just means out of nothing. God created out of nothing. There was nothing and God made something. Uh, right. But, you know, it's, it's interesting because science, the modern science community, actually came out of a Christian worldview. You yes, know, we, You know, Newton, Kepler, Galileo, these early scientists, they believed that they were, in a sense, theologians. You know, they were searching the mind of God. They didn't think that they were doing anti-Christian work at all. So certainly, you know, there's been a sub-segment of Christianity who's wanted to be skeptical or reject science. That's that's not at least where we are. <laughs> I mean, we think this, mm-hmm. this stuff goes hand in hand. If we study truth, we're going to learn more about God as well as the universe.
0: Um, yeah. really. Well, quick- and, and, and just to amplify on that, uh, you know, there's— I think you can make a strong argument that, yeah, I mean, it's very clear that a lot of those early scientists were devout Christians wanting to study God's creation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and you talk about the philosophical underpinnings of science and the Judeo-Christian worldview is the worldview that anchors all of those philosophical presuppositions. But I think you can make an argument that the scientific process is so robust, it's, it's developed well and it's so robust now that you can actually practice the scientific process without believing in the philosophical preconditions for it. Yeah. It's that robust of an endeavor. And, you know, I know, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll continue to use Krauss as an example. He argues that, oh, we don't need God. God, You know, God's worth, you know, science is showing that we don't need God. But yet when he goes and does science, he's acting like Christianity <laughs> describes the world. Right. He's acting as though The universe is orderly and regular. He's acting as though there's a pattern and and things that we can recognize. He's acting as though we have a reason to think that what the thoughts in our mind correspond to what's going on in reality. He's acting as though science has this integrity in how it's reporting. So he's acting like a Christian or acting like the Judeo-Christian worldview is true to do his science in order to argue that science has shown that God doesn't exist. Yeah,
1: it's it's as though he used a, a ladder to climb up a mountain and then standing on top of the mountain, he said, I don't need a ladder. What are you talking about? I'm totally fine up here. Like he's gotten to a position where he's got a foundation he's standing on, but how did we get there in that in our culture? It was through the exact Christian Judea worldview. Um, you know, we only got a minute or two left. I'm just gonna throw out a couple of the alternatives of the Big Bang and give me your you know 10 second version on on why you still think the Big Bang is uh, a good a good model uh, or or better model. Uh, with steady state universe, you said that's been out of the favor since the 60s. Why doesn't that one work anymore?
0: Because the steady state model says the universe ought to look the same in all locations. And as we look further away, which is further back in time, we see that there are more radio sources and there's a cosmic microwave background. It just doesn't match the observations of okay. the universe. The steady state model doesn't match the observations.
1: Okay, how about the oscillating universe where it expands and crunches and expands all over and over and over?
0: So as it was originally proposed, the oscillating universe accounted for the expansion of the universe, but it got rid of the beginning by saying every, ex- every...
1: Oh, hold on one second. I actually lost you there. Um, so, sorry. Uh, if you will just turn that channel down. Uh, sorry. We our, our audio started and the program we're using only gets one audio. I guess that may be it. All right. Got about 10 seconds left. Finish the oscillating one now.
0: So what you can show is that in order, because of entropy, each oscillation gets bigger. So it may be that we're in an oscillating universe, but an oscillating universe still has a beginning.
1: Gotcha. And if you want to know more about the multiverse, we've already done a show on that, so I'm going to send people there. Thanks for listening to Truth Revolution. Go out and get his book, Escaping the Beginning. You can get it at Amazon or Reasons.org. Again, Jeff Zwiering from Reasons to Believe. Thanks for joining us today.
0: Good to be here, Jeff. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Always a pleasure.